0: I'm Greg, and you're listening to Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable.
1: Totally Preventable. Totally
2: Preventable.
0: Totally Preventable. Hi, Greg. Hey, Polly. How are you? I am okay. Nice Very day. You're it finally is. getting
2: some nice spring weather.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Could be a rainstorm in about 10 minutes.
2: Could be <laughs> snowing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Never know. <laughs> wow. So who do we have on today?
2: Well, because we have nice weather, Mm -hmm. it's only fitting that we have uh, Ava. I'm going to mess up her last name.
0: Uh, Give it a shot. Agadello.
2: (laughs) Agadello. Ava Agadello from Hope's Harvest. Mm -hmm. Um, She's going to talk to us about some opportunities for farmers and volunteers and what they're doing to secure some unused farm fresh food that local farmers have so that um, people that are a little food insecure can benefit.
0: This is going to be awesome because the program and what they do is is outstanding. This is something that I think our listeners are really going to enjoy.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. I think it can benefit a whole lot of people or people can volunteer, a lot of of opportunities. There's
0: probably a lot of us who are using these the Hopes Harvest service that don't even know Maybe we're using that service. Maybe. So without further ado... Today, joining us on the Totally Preventable Podcast, we have the director of Hope's Harvest, Ava Agadello. How are you doing today, Ava?
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Our pleasure. Our pleasure.
2: So we're totally excited. Um, we read a little bit about Hope's Harvest
1: and love the model. Could you tell us about Hope's Harvest? Yeah, for sure. So Hope's Harvest is a program that started in 2018. Um to mobilize volunteers to recover surplus food from farms to distribute to hunger relief agencies across the state of Rhode Island. So um, we do that, which means we kind of we recruit volunteers, we get them all set up in our system, we train them, we make sure they know what they need to go out into the field. Um, we work closely with farmers to find out when they have products available in the field that they're not going to be able to sell for one reason or another. And we bring those volunteers out, we supervise them, we have our own trucks and our bins and our storage and all that stuff and make sure that we're able to um pick and harvest that food safely and get it uh, into the hands of people who need it most. So we've worked with about 48 farms across um, Rhode Island and Southeastern Massachusetts and about 48 uh, hunger relief agencies that include everyone from the Rhode Island Community Food Bank to uh, small food pantries and even organizations that have just taken on food distribution in the last few years um, post pandemic as a way to uh, sort of meet the food needs of their communities. Um, and recently we've also started doing a couple other things. We forward contract with farms to grow food specifically for hunger relief. And so we're able to pay those farmers, which is really great. And we also purchase surplus. So if there's food that has already been picked and packed, but the farmer can't donate it for one reason or another, um, we have funds to purchase that food and make sure it gets into the hands of people who really need it. And, um, We also administer a couple state programs. So um, we work closely with the Department of Environmental Management and we uh, pack uh, produce boxes for senior citizens as part of the Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program. Um, So we did 9,000 boxes last year for seniors and got those out to senior centers across the state. And um, we also work on a program called the Local Food Purchasing Agreement, which allows agencies to purchase food directly from the uh, Market Mobile ordering platform that's part of Farm Fresh Rhode Island, which is our parent organization. So if you get local milk or eggs, they have grant funds to be able to um, do that. So that's, that's the short summary. <laughs> um, basically, wow. anytime you're trying to get local food into the emergency food system and people are getting food for free, that's what our program works on.
0: That's a lot to unpack. It is. <laughs> a lot of questions from that. A,
1: a lot, lot of great <laughs> things though, because Produce, fresh produce is
2: so expensive and yes. so hard for people on fixed incomes to um, purchase. And if you have kids and you're supposed to be given, oh, I forget, is it three to four servings of fruit a day? Um, it it can be overwhelming.
0: It can, it can. Uh, just the, the cost of trying to even eat healthy is just mm-hmm. wild. So yeah, and
1: we, we really look at freshness as a as a dignity and a food justice issue. So a lot of times people think, oh, fresh food, like eh, I don't know, like that's for farmers' markets or fruity people or whatever. But um, from our perspective, if you are a senior citizen and you only get to go to the food pantry once a month, And you show up at the pantry and they give you a bunch of veggies and they've been traveling around on a truck for three weeks and they only stay good for about 24 hours. That really doesn't work very well. So when we're bringing carrots that just came out of the ground the day before, then we know those carrots are going to last, you know, a month in somebody's fridge. And so that really is an important component of ensuring that people have consistent healthy food access from um, those sources that they're able to get it from.
0: First, I'm blown away that there's 48 farms in Rhode, in Rhode Island. Oh, That's- but there's way more.
1: Oh, there's a, there's <laughs> a lot more than that.
0: <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I would have... I I would have been way on the low
1: end. The other
2: ones just don't want to give
1: up their produce. <laughs> I, I
0: see. I see. Now I, I'm, I'm learning more. Or
1: a lot of them have their own arrangements with their local uh, hunger relief agencies. They have systems already set up, which was great for them. You know, we're really just there to meet a gap if there's a need between the farm and the agencies.
2: Yeah, I was just teasing because I know that some of our our local farms where I live, um, I did see some of them on your list, but I know that some of them, when they have extra produce, bring it over to our local food pantry. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, with your service, do you offer education as to, um, you know, when fruit, when vegetables, when um, they're when they're still good? Like you said, you could it'll last a month in someone's fridge. Do you educate people on when to know, like, all right, this is still good, or this it's time to get rid of this?
1: Oh, interesting. So we do partner. um, So you're talking about the people who are getting the food. Right. The people from the, yeah. So we partner with um, URI Snap Ed, which is a really amazing program that does a lot of nutrition education for folks who are getting um, supplemental nutrition assistance benefits, um, food stamp program. So um, SNAP actually, snap AD URI will give us um, handouts that a lot of the agencies use about um, safe and healthy preparations of different types of foods that people might not be accustomed to. And so there's an opportunity for education there. Um, It's interesting because we're not really bringing food to individuals most of the time. We're really partnering with organizations who are doing that last mile delivery and There are so many organizations who have that existing expertise that when I founded the program, it didn't feel like that was a needed service, um, that we would have just been sort of stepping on the toes of folks who really know how to work with their community. They have those connections already in place. So we're actually a service provider for hunger relief agencies um, in a way. But um, I know that many of the agencies that we partner with do a phenomenal job of doing nutrition education with their guests.
0: Now, you said you founded this organization? What prompted you to to do so?
1: Well, I was uh, working at the Rhode Island Community Food Bank at the time. Um, I was assistant director of programs. I was working with agencies all over the state on a number of different um, food safety Uh, programs and and ensuring that they had resources they needed to do a good job and I was also on the Rhode Island Food Policy Council which if folks don't know about is a really amazing statewide organization that brings together people all over the state who are working on Uh, issues related to food, not just food security, but people who are business owners, people who are farmers, people who are, um, you know, connected to policymakers, and a lot of folks coming together to think about how to make the whole food system work well, and The director of food strategy at the time, Sue Anderbois, had released an initiative called um, Relish Roadie. And it was a plan for the state's food system to become more sustainable. And they had a bunch of different focus areas. And one of those focus areas was on food waste and food recovery. And I had known about um, gleaning, which is what the food recovery from farms is called, um, from my work when I was in Washington state back in 2008, 2009. Um, there was a cleaning program out there that was affiliated with the food bank. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder why we don't have that here. So I started doing some asking around and sat down with Farm Fresh, sat down with Sue, sat down with other folks to just say, you know, like, has anyone tried doing this and has it worked or why or why not? And it turned out that really the main issue was that people had tried it as part of what else they were doing. So it was like a farm would do a day or you know, one agency had a relationship with one farm, but there wasn't anybody whose actual job it was to be able to consistently, steadily field those uh, opportunities. And the consistency of it was really, really necessary because if a farmer is like trying to think of something in the middle of their busiest season, and they call, and you're not available. They're probably just never going to call again, and so you really have to be able to show up. Um, so really, just needed to be somebody's job. And I think that's the case for a lot of um, initiatives. Is that a lot of people are like, "Oh, we need it. I'm going to do it as part of my other full time or two full time jobs that I already have. You know, particularly in the in the nonprofit sector. And, um, you know, people have jobs. They're working hard. Farmers have a job. that's growing food, and agencies have a job. It's giving the food away. So they really just needed that support. Um so, yeah, that's that's that. And then, actually, uh, we're incredibly blessed um, to receive the Rhode Island Foundation's Carter Fellowship for Entrepreneurial Innovation right at the very beginning. So that was some core funding for the first four years wow. of the program, and that really made it all possible. So
2: that's wonderful. I think the Carters might be from my town. I read that and I was like, I think. They're- oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I heard you say something about SNAP. Um, so SNAP is the new equivalent to food stamps, correct? Correct. For people. Mm-hmm. like. That? Um, and WIC is different. That's for fa- uh, pregnant moms and. Uh, Women, infants and children. You no, know, thank you. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I read somewhere that you. Um, you do some kind of um, one-for-one at your farmer's market. Is that true? Is that Yeah.
1: So that's the food access program at Farm Fresh and they um, do the bonus bucks program, which is really awesome. Um, And basically if people have food stamp benefits, they can come to the farmer's market. And when they swipe their card, they get the value that they swipe for plus a one-to-one match for fruits and vegetables at the farmer's market. So they'll get a handful of coins and, um those coins will be usable at the vendors at the farmers market so that they can buy twice as much product as they would have been able to otherwise. And that's a program that happens in different variations all across the country. Um, Farm Fresh is really one of the first organizations that piloted that model um, way back when and um, now actually helps to support that program regionally with um, federal grants um, and works with you know, New Hampshire and Maine on, um, administering those types of programs at farmers markets. So it's a really, really great program. And the, the usage of that program has gone up quite a bit, um, since the pandemic started. So there's definitely a lot of demand for, um, for that.
2: That's awesome. When, um, so I have four children When my youngest was born, I was on WIC. Um, as a, a, a farmer, like we didn't make a lot of money, we could only eat so many tomatoes. But um, the amount of chickpeas, uh, carrots, and peanut butter that we were consuming was crazy. I would have loved some uh, bonus bucks mm-hmm. to be able to get some fresh corn or lettuce or something. That's that's mm-hmm. really terrific and just um, improves everybody's health and well-being. I mean, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What constitutes a uh, surplus for a farm? Is it just like to give people an idea? I know some people are going to think, oh, we're only getting the ugly vegetables that they can't sell or whatever <laughs> the case may be. What what constitutes a surplus?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. People do think that and that's often not the case. Um, so we sometimes have a challenge with our volunteers who will come out and they're so excited about taking um, you know, what they call second or um, B grade uh, fruits or vegetables. And we often have to tell them, hey, there's so much out here that's actually perfect that we don't even have to take the B grade. We can really just take what's left um, out in the field that is unmarred in any way. But a lot of times what will happen, for example, um, butternut squash in the fall is, you know, uh, the farmer will go through the field and will take everything that you're used to seeing in the grocery store. So whatever is sort of um, the perfect size or shape for a butternut squash, right? Like your, your typical, if it was on a picture, on a magazine or something, butternut squash. That's not how nature works. It, things don't actually grow like that so we get some of the like weird butternut squash where it's like you know two heads or like the stem's a little bit short or it's just the farmer knows they can't sell that to their wholesale markets or they can't you know people don't want that at the farm stand because they're sort of expecting something that looks a particular way so still totally edible still you know perfectly shaped or whatever and and delicious um and nutritious and all of that just not our typical what we think it would look like occasionally we'll have stuff that has like a little bit of damage so like maybe a groundhog gave it a little scratch and then it healed over so it's still sealed um what we don't take is anything that is moldy or soft or um has basically anything you would look at at the store and be like oh I don't want that um because we really respect the dignity of the people who are getting food at the food pantry and we want to make sure that we're not um, giving them anything that we wouldn't eat in our own home. So when I say we have a problem with the volunteers, a lot of times the volunteers are like, I'd eat that. I'll just end it off. It's fine. I don't care. And we're like, great, you make that choice for you. We're not going to make that choice for anybody um, at a pantry. So, you know, maybe a little bit of like a, a, a beetle took a little nibble off of a, um, like a kale stem or something like that. But for the most part, it's really... It's perfect. Um, And then with apples, like in the fall, sometimes they'll be a little soft, um, maybe better for baking or better for making sauce or something like that. Um, But really for the most part, it's very high quality product, um, particularly because it's fresh and particularly because it's local. Um, I like to use an example of a farm that we work with that's a mid-scale farm. They they do quite a lot of volume and they have a farm stand that's very famous um, for corn. And they have these big, gorgeous ears of corn. They're just stunning. Well, on a corn stalk, you usually get two to three ears of corn. So that first ear that's up at the top is like the big, juicy, beautiful one, right? And then the second one down is still basically like what you'd get then at like a grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. and it's still food it's still delicious it's still nutritious um it's just not like the spectacular like local farm like (laughs) gorgeous (laughs) corn ear you know whatever so um so that's kind of how we think about it's like it's still food right you'd still feed it to um someone you loved
0: that is awesome
1: (laughs) do you have any farming in your history Ha. Uh, <laughs> I used to say when people would always ask me that, they'd be like, Oh, are you a farmer? And I said, I like to pay the professionals to grow my food for me <laughs> um, because they're very good at it. I have been a farm service provider for most of my professional career. So when I was in Washington, I ran a program called. Uh, food to bank on that actually paid farmers to grow food for hunger relief um, and provided mentorship and training from other farms. Um, I've worked with beginning farmers for a long time. I worked for a program called the New Entry Sustainable Farming Project up in Massachusetts that worked with um, immigrant and refugee farmers, gave them access to land, training, technical assistance. Um, So I know a lot about farming, but I have never tried to be a farmer myself. I have an unreasonably large garden in my backyard that gets horribly neglected Uh, (laughs) and I had some chickens Um, they're expensive so I just I have like utmost respect for people who grow food and I really want to see them be successful so yeah I
2: think people don't realize how expensive chickens are <laughs> when yeah. people are complaining. Oh my God, no. It costs, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> that feed is pricey. Yeah. You're doing it right, you know, wow. not mm-hmm. junk, but um, so our editor has asked me, the one question he wanted me to ask you is, do you have any um, internship opportunities at Hope's
1: We absolutely have internship opportunities. Um, We like to partner with local colleges and universities of which there are many. Uh, We also utilize the AmeriCorps program quite a lot. So we have seasonal AmeriCorps positions during the summer. We have direct service positions and we have full year AmeriCorps VISTA positions that are often available. So those are on our website. Um, folks can go check out farmfresherri.org under the about section. There's um, job opportunities listed there. We're in prime hiring season right now, actually, for the for the growing season. And Hope's Harvest actually brings on seasonal harvest associates at times, um, because uh, we're a staff of three to four during the winter, and then up to six during the growing season, because there's just, you know, uh, the the old adage make hay while the sun shines we got to make sure that we're out there while the food's growing because um if we don't get it it goes away i
2: i love this program on so many levels like as as a farmer and as former farmer um it's and as a recipient of wic at one point and having kids and working in public like i just i just love this program
1: Well, one thing I really love to share from the farmer perspective, or thinking about it, how we think about the farmer perspective. Um, I was really blessed to be able to participate in some uh, discussion groups with uh, Temple Beth El a few years ago, and there's mention of gleaning in the Old Testament in the Book of Ruth. So this idea is really thousands of years old, and we took some time and we looked at the Torah, which is the um, the guidance on how you actually implement the the things that you're supposed to do. And I will tell you the rules on how to make gleaning a thing were pretty much the same as how we operate things now. And the most important thing was that the farmer just has to grow extra and leave it Mm -hmm. and not do anything else. It's not the farmer's responsibility to do anything else, but grow the food. And I really love that because I felt like it really, it's like 5,000 years ago, farmers were busy. In this year, 2022, farmers are still busy. (laughs) And you have to respect that and say, you know, if we like, it's, that's your role is to make sure that there's enough. And then we can come out and make it as easy as possible for you to be generous in that way and make a contribution in that way. So that's how I see this program and our role. Um, is because people would question at the beginning, they'd be like, well, why would a farmer even want to do that? And it's like, of course, farmers want to do that. Of course they do. They also just have to be so pragmatic about their business and be really thoughtful about where they're putting resources and energy. And every farmer that really finally started participating and got it and was like, oh, I really don't have to do anything, do I? was just filled with delight that they were able to contribute to their communities in this way. And it's such a such a joy to be able to um, step in and make that possible.
0: That's awesome. What is the um, the protocol and procedure for a farm and Hope's Harvest um, partnership to begin?
1: So uh, farmers usually find out about us. We had done a number of different um, outreach opportunities through um, URI Extension, through the um, Rhode Island Fruit Growers. We spoke to Farm Bureau. Um, We went to Young Farmer Nights and and things like that. So farmers sort of hear about us like through the grapevine. And um, in the beginning of the season, we send out a welcome packet that just has some information about how to get in touch with us, has our contact information. Usually it's a text message because that's the best way to communicate. That's just easy for folks in the field. Um, And they'll usually reach out to us that way. Let us know, hey, you know, we've got something for you um if it's a farmer we haven't worked with before we'll try and go out and do a visit and just take a look around get a sense of where we're supposed to be where we're not supposed to be um you know what fields might be open to us and so the farmer doesn't have to do that more than once and then um yeah usually they'll just send a text let us know if they've got something and we'll um coordinate with them on a good time to come out you know if they're want to be around or don't want to be around mornings afternoons um, depending on who it is and um, sometimes we have to get directions to like some weird backfield somewhere (laughs) that's you know there's no signs and (laughs) you know we're dropping a gps pin and taking photos and trying to share that with folks so Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then at the end of the season, we let everybody know how much we recovered from their farm. So we keep good records, make sure we know what we took out how many pounds so that if they want, they can um, write that off on their taxes and potentially get a benefit from that. Awesome.
2: And if someone is listening, and they're like, Oh, I'd love to volunteer. This sounds like a great opportunity. Should they just check out your website is all the information on there?
1: Yeah, so um, if you go to hopesharvest.org, which is still an active, um, it'll send you to FarmFresh, but send you to our page on the Farm Fresh website, and it'll have a little um, button where you can click that says, you know, I want to be a volunteer, and we have a registration process. Um, the best thing at this time of year is just to sign up for our newsletter, um, and then when we start getting going with the growing season. Everyone usually has to register all over again each year because sometimes we have a change in guidelines. Um, Obviously when COVID was happening, we had special safety things that we were um, rolling out to folks. So we like to be able to just, you know, on an annual basis, bring all of our volunteers together. Um, And if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get information about when that happens. Usually we start bringing volunteers out into the field mid-June. Um, And then we go through the end of November. So, and the neat thing about uh, our work is that you don't have to sign up to volunteer on a regular basis. Um, You can just come when you are available. So we send out a weekly newsletter on Saturday mornings that has all of the volunteer opportunities for the coming week. And if you're available, you sign up. If you're not available, you don't sign up. So we have a lot of um, early retirees who work with us who love that because you know if they wanna take two weeks and go to Florida or they wanna visit their grandkids or what have you, um, there's no pressure to be there every week. Although we do have many volunteers who are amazing and come every single week, multiple times a week sometimes. So um, I think we had over 350 individual volunteers last year. And we have a, over two thousand folks on our mailing list now, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's really great momentum. And a lot of people hear about it from friends and you know come out with their buddies so that they can such like a nice social way to hang out too. Just like digging your hands in the dirt and chatting with your buds and mm-hmm. yeah, doing some good. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. and if people want to donate, if if they don't have the time or, or aren't that's just not their thing? Is there an opportunity to just donate to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep, there's a donate button on the Farm Fresh website and you can choose Hope's Harvest as like the um, recipient. So you can choose different programs at Farm Fresh, but um, you can select us specifically to receive donations. And we love those too. They're so helpful. We got to put gas in the truck. We got to buy liners for the bins. We have to make sure everybody can- Get paid. <laughs> Be out there in the field, you know, not the volunteers, but our staff work so hard. Um, they're out there loading up after everybody's gone home and unpacking and driving the big truck around. And um, so they're amazing. We have a great crew.
0: I have a just a small twofold question. What is the average volunteer experience like? So when you when you volunteer, you you get out to the farm, what is that experience like? And what is like the average time commitment for that? Yeah,
1: so each gleaning trip um, is usually two to three hours long. We don't ask anyone to be out in the field longer than that because it's really hard work. And, um, I think it gives people a little bit of a taste actually of what it is to be a farm worker, um, recognizing how grueling it can really be. Um, so we know that they are civilians and they're not being expected to put in an eight hour, nine hour, 12 hour day, like a lot of people do in this country. Um, so yeah, two to three hour shifts and, um, when a volunteer signs up, they get, um, notification of where to go, what to bring, you know, if it's gonna be hot, if it's gonna be rainy, we like to just mention to folks, you should bring appropriate footwear or, a you know, a raincoat or what have you. Um, And then we meet usually at a designated spot. Um, We'll have two trip leaders with the truck and we'll do a little brief orientation, assuming that not everyone has been there before. And we'll go around, everybody says their name. We usually do a little icebreaker, and then the staff will just explain what it is we're going to be picking. They'll do a demonstration on how to pick um, properly. So depending on what the crop is, we'll just show everybody, you know, you want to cut it here or you want to snap it like this. Um, these are too small. These are too big. Don't take either of those. And, um, and we set up our truck. We have a hand washing station. We have tables. We have all of our bins. So usually the staff is getting... The bin's ready and then we give these harvest totes to the volunteers, send them out into the field, make sure they know um not to go into the same spot that other folks have gone into already. So we kind of try and space people out. Um and then folks will fill up their little totes and bring them to us and we'll pack stuff onto the truck. And then sometimes the staff will you know wander around and just check in and see how people are doing, give a little tip on how to harvest. Um, or you know, say hi and chat, and folks usually are just hanging out. We try and have enough volunteers for each shift that no one has to um, rush or you know push too hard or lift anything they're not comfortable with. We do a lot of team lifting stuff like that, um, but we also have jobs for folks who can't lift. You know, we help with the bin packing things like that, um, and yeah, it's a nice time. It's usually pretty chill, relaxed, and. Um, lots of buzzing bees and flowers mm. and cuteness
0: <laughs> their an age requirement
1: yeah so um typically it's uh 18 and up and then 14 and up um we've done with uh, parent permission and then we do also have school groups that come out we also have um, workplaces that come out and do like kind of team building type of things so if um You know, we had DEM actually brought a whole bunch of staff out last year and the year before, which was delightful. Um, Or, you know, we have local companies. um, uh, Newport Restaurant Group is a great sponsor of ours and they bring out a team. kitchen staff a couple times a year, and those folks work hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> folks who work on the back end of the kitchen really know how to bust it, um, so we love having those folks out um but we've had folks from like a software security company come out like it just you know all sorts of friends so the um age requirement if we've got kids um coming from school groups we've had like fourth graders um as long as they're chaperoned by parents and there's some farms that are better for kids and some farms that are just a little funkier and have you know more rusty things lying around and we try Mm -hmm. and just make sure we're really gearing the trip towards the audience so um, usually in the fall, we'll have more like apple picking on the weekends, um, which we love to do. And that's great for families. Um, last year was not a great year for apples. It was, uh, the drought made things pretty mm. rough. So, um, yeah, we're hoping this year will be better.
2: I think, a prevention of office, um, an office of prevention people might think that is as a good team building activity.
0: I just think this could, could be, it would give like a whole new food, a whole new, um, word i'm looking for um an appreciation of food mm-hmm. for uh, i'm just thinking of my kids who just like oh i'm done i'll throw this away i'm like ah you know what <laughs> let's not throw that away so i'm thinking you know it would be a whole new appreciation for anyone who participates in volunteers you, absolutely you know, especially if you have to pick it yourself and cut it and break it or whatever you have to do to <laughs> dig it or <laughs> a whole new appreciation so this is awesome
2: well thank you um I'm totally excited about Hope's Harvest. Um and um so amazed that this opportunity is out there for people. Um I we appreciate you. Thank you.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I, um, it's great spe- to be able to talk about what we do. What's that?
0: But you got Polly speechless. She's fumbling her words. That's never happened.
1: <laughs> I think it happens all the time. She's, <laughs> really, she's really excited. It's like
2: everything I, I love all encompassed. If I ever leave prevention, I'm coming to you. Sounds
1: good. <laughs> we got a spot for you. All right. Thank
2: you so much. This has been
1: wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you guys. Thank you. I'm Polly,
2: and you've just listened to Totally Preventable. Totally
1: Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally
2: Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. preventable.